welcome back to the Adam B and Adam G MBA show. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Uh, to all of you, welcome back and welcome to 2018. And uh, thank you for joining us again. We're back. Adam G's back too. Happy New Year, Adam B. Uh, happy New Year from uh, a bathroom uh, in America. Uh, of a hotel that will not be named. Love that. Um, yeah, but uh, it's been good. Uh, it's been a good time over here. Uh, great food in New Orleans at the moment. Uh, and I've been missing you with these uh, our little two-week hiatus over the holiday period. We slob out like everyone else. But, damn, New Orleans, it sounds like a good place to spend your New Year's and I'm sure you, you got down with Boogie Cousins at midnight. I'm, I'm sure yeah, you had a course. wild time. Yeah. Well, it's good yeah, to have you back. Bourbon Street. Yeah. Yeah, Bourbon Street was kicking it. Um, saw Boogie out there, obviously. Obviously. Um, yeah, no curfew for Boogie Cousins. No, he's off the leash and he actually looks quite good. And maybe we'll touch on his performance over there in this pod. Uh, today, we're going to take a look at. Um, the past of this season and the future of this season. We're going to start out by listing a couple of things we've learned, a couple of questions that have been answered, and then we're going to dive into the mysteries that are left in this season, the questions that need answering um, before the playoffs. So, Adam G, let's kick it right off with things we've already learned. I'll start, and I'm going to start by saying... Something quite odd, considering I'm A, a Celtics fan, and B, this team is dead last in the West. But I think for the first time in a couple of years, the first time certainly since Kobe Bryant retired, the Lakers look like they have a future. I like Kyle Kuzma. Uh, I like the chemistry that's developing between their young core. They've beaten Houston. They almost beat them twice. They should have won that second game. They push Golden State uh, into an overtime, and they're actually really fun to watch. So, yeah, the Lakers have a future. Are we sure about that? Absolutely. I mean, they're going to lose their draft pick to the Celtics uh, if it falls between two and five, but I feel like the the development of Kuzma, um, which has been such a pleasant surprise, and the Nets are really going to be kicking themselves right now over trading him away, there's Kuzma, and then it's been really good to see um, Ingram develop so much this year. Ingram's really come on. He's working out how to use his length. He's being more aggressive. He's less turnover prone. He looks good. And if you combine all that development um, and watchability with the fact that, you know, these LeBron to LA whispers keep going and the Paul George to LA whispers are still there, I, I think they're in the best position they've been in in a while. How many of those players do you think are actually going to be on the Lakers in the next coming years, though? And the people we're talking about are Julius Randle, Kuzma, uh, KCP, Jordan Clarkson, Brooke Lopez, and Brandon Ingram. Do we see all of those players even being on the Lakers in the future? To um, me, the untouchables as part of that team. Yeah, to me, the untouchables would be Kuzma and Ingram. Um, but I think just purely because of the hype they've invested into the, him, Lonzo Ball is probably going to be a part of that core too. But what you're talking about is two first-year players and a second-year player. I think everything else is negotiable. I think Randall will go. KCP is fun to watch, but he'll go. Um, 
I don't know about Clarkson as the long-term point guard, but he could be good off the bench. Um, yeah, I, I, just, I, I just see, like, look, I just see they have nine players who you could almost regard eight or nine players as wings, and they're not all going to be there because the number one area that everyone thinks they're going to be investing in is one of the best wing players in the NBA who's going to be playing 36, 37, 38 minutes a game. And so if Paul George is there, there is less room for everyone else to play. Right, but just, again, rewind to when Kobe signed that disgusting final contract. They were in such a predicament. It looked like they missed on a bunch of their draft picks. Contracts were were getting really, really gross. I mean, don't forget the Mozgov contract that they got off their hands. Like, there's... That they were in a mess and they've started to find their way out of the woods. And most importantly to me, they fucking, you can watch them. They are really, really fun to watch, which has been really unexpected for me. So, yes, my lesson learned is that the dead last Lakers have a future for the first time in a couple of seasons. Yeah, I agree. And I just, I'm just worried about because I've got no history or no experience with this current management team, this current front office. And I don't know whether this is the front office that is going to somehow manage to keep Luol Deng and Corey Brewer around (laughs) for the next couple of years or whether they're going to keep Kyle Kuzma and keep maybe Jordan Clarkson as a backup, maybe keep Larry Nance for a little bit and Ingram as well. So we'll see. We will see. Uh, Go ahead, Adam G. Fire away with one of your lessons learned. My number one, and I think it's the most important thing to remember in a lot of sports is to trust the stars and trust the good players and keep faith in your studs because whatever's happening, whatever form might be going away or whatever questions might be asked of these players, the reason why they are the best in their position or one of the best in their position groups or the best in their team is because of how hard they work how invested they are in the game and how much they improve. And I think the two clearest examples for me come in the Eastern Conference with two guys who no one thought could improve, and that's LeBron, clearly, and DeMar DeRozan. Now, both have had issues in the past in terms of shooting from long range and have been inconsistent, and both have improved that to a point where I actually have faith in them to pull up from three whenever they want. And this is also on the back of DeRozan, for example. Now, look, we know that LeBron has already is, has always been great in the restricted area. The last year and a half before this season, DeMar DeRozan was a killer in the paint and on drives. He'd either get to the line or he was able to finish at a high rate. Um, his inefficiencies came from shooting from far away and shooting from the mid-range section, you know, 16 to... 20 feet too many times. Um, but I guess my, my lesson learned there is that you've got to trust these players to work it out or figure it out or get better or improve their team because they are the best players for a reason. Well, yeah, well, the point you make just there actually lands on my two other lessons learned. I think it's a really strong point. And number one, I guess an auxiliary point to the idea of trusting stars is you have to know who your star is and there needs to be a clear pecking order. If you look at the last 10 games that OKC have played, 
Westbrook and Paul George have seen upticks in their usage and their points and their field goal percentage. And Melo's points are down. His field goal percentage and three-point percentage are up, but his points are down, his usage are down. And they've won seven out of their last ten. Uh, they're fifth in the West. And the kind of purgatory they were forced to live in for the first two months of the season where they're trying to pretend that Melo's still a legitimate star and that he deserves as much usage as the other two. And this idea of people kidding themselves into thinking it wasn't it wasn't Westbrook's team and that he ought to share the load more. Well, it's it's very clear that they're a better team when he is more involved and when that pecking order is clearer. And that's shown itself out for the past month or so. Secondly... Yeah, and they've turned... Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, I, I was going to say, I mean, firstly, we've also learned, both of us there, that I made a correct call. Um, and that I always I kept saying that the Thunder were eventually going to turn around. Now, you I never wavered. Think they were actually going to be... No, I never wavered. Not because I thought that their coaching staff was actually smart. I just thought, how can you not figure this out? But look, they've turned Mello into a very good screener off the ball and pick and pop shooter and spot up shooter. And they're using Paul George well off pin downs and well off screens. And the main ball handler is again, Russ. And they managed to learn. What was your point? What was your second point? My, my third and final lesson is and it's a really good one. It's that it's possible to change. And you touched on DeMar DeRozan's uh, ability to improve himself and change his game up. Toronto on the whole, and this has been well documented, have really changed the way they play. They're playing at the fastest pace they've played at maybe on record. Um, it's their best defense in six seasons. And most importantly, if you, if you put a lens especially on DeRozan, He's cut out the mid-range game, the mid-range inefficient game that was killing them in key matches, losing them possessions, and they've started to shift slightly more towards uh, ball movement, which is rare for them, and also just kind of choosing a little bit more uh, strictly between going for a layup and driving and kicking or just shooting a three. And the fact that that team who's kept let me just check the exact number um do you want me to talk while you look up stats no no i got you i got you like i agree adam b I, I agree because that was following on to my second point as well in that to be good now you need to have teams that have an ability to be skilled in multiple facets or have athleticism that isn't just one thing or another just mm-hmm. to be good um, and you think I think that Toronto have done that. They've said that these are our two stars, but the rest of our team will be made up of above-average players. And if they happen to develop, yeah, if they happen to develop, awesome. You get a good player out of a situation that you only really expected an average player or a rotation player. Um, and you look yeah, like a, a Fred Van Fleet or someone like that. There's a real sense yeah. in watching them, and I hate that team, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I hate them. But in watching them, you get a sense that everyone knows their role. They're moving the ball religiously, and as a result, they've got an incredible record, and they look... You know, watching them the past few years, you just couldn't really buy into the hype that they could do any serious damage in the playoffs just because of their play style. You'd seen it all before. They were predictable. You knew how it was going to go down, 
first or second round exit. Yeah. This year, that this game plan, uh, it looks so much more threatening. They can score so much more simply, and it just feels more reliable. And that it could maybe even stand up to playoff style pressure. And sec, just quickly on that theme of it's possible to change. I mean, Andre Drummond is sh- still shooting in the sixties from free throws. Mm-hmm. Um, this season, and that's up from thirty eight percent last season. So it is possible to change. And two of the most stubbornly disappointing things in the NBA, the Toronto Raptors and Andre Drummond's free throw shooting, have both improved dramatically. Yeah, and it's funny that we talk about all these improvements and trusting these good players to actually improve and figure it out. Is it's coincided with the Eastern Conference improving? while the Western Conference, I think, has actually stood still apart from the top couple of teams. There's a real lack of, not necessarily care or whatever, but almost like the teams below the top three don't quite believe that there's any hope in the Western Conference, so none of them give a shit. Yes, and that's like the Golden State effect. I mean, what happens even if you do squeak yeah. into a seven or eight seed? You're going to get pasted. And, and- yeah, and yeah, and what and their their opinion is what happens if Golden State suffer injuries? Okay, good luck with the Spurs. Mm. Yeah, whereas the and East is the full Spurs of shakers. Suffer, like good luck with the Rockets. Yeah, yeah, and it's almost like this this entire narrative, which I think has been bullshit, honestly, for the most part, um, in terms of the parity between conferences. It'll never be the same year on year, and there will be always be a couple of results here and there, and a couple of road trips here and there that swing Eastern Conference wins compared to Western Conference wins. But what has happened is the narrative has infected everyone in the Western Conference to a point where there are a lot of there are a lot of good bad teams, like they're actually bad teams, but they're like the best of the bunch of bad teams. And I think that goes all the way up from you could even say the Mavs and Suns and Jazz all the way up to the Nuggets. Yeah. Um, And the Lakers can beat anyone. The the Lakers can win it against anyone. They're all good, bad teams, whereas the Eastern Conference, what we've seen is with this understanding of, hey, I can trust these stars to improve and the stars have dragged their teams along, is apart from a few teams like the Knicks and 76ers who just aren't ready yet because their star is in his second or third year, is that a lot of these teams are actually looking positively towards the season in terms of their chances of playoffs and beating teams above them. And it's great to see. And in addition to that, I think it's fair to say that there's a huge target on Cleveland's back. And I think a legitimate belief amongst teams that... Finally, we could see a non-LeBron Eastern Conference team in the finals. I mean, that's the real test. That's the real goal. And I, it looks like a few of the teams have bought into that idea. Yeah, well, good luck because this is a 33-year-old that has just, um, just shown that he looks as good as ever, has improved areas of his game that no one ever believed possible and has said that I feel better than ever and did you see his recent quote where he said I want to dominate the league again and win an MVP and show how good I am again yeah look it's going to be for him but part of it was also about he said that 
He wants to do it for other 33-year-olds around to say that other 33-year-olds can still get another $100 million contract or That's another $200 million contract. That it's possible because most teams think 30 years old, that's it. Let's go one year, two year deals. And what he's trying to say is, no, 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 it's possible. If you work as hard as me like, and you're 33 years old, you can still get another 100 or $200 million contract. Hmm. Well, those questions will be amongst the questions answered for the rest of the season. Do you feel ready to go into those now? I feel ready to go into those. And I think that covered all of those. I think the other sort of honorary mention that I'll come in with uh, – on that concept is I think what we've learned is that a lot of teams have learned from the Spurs from about four years ago, finally. And I think in terms of all that we've talked about, in terms of organizations, there are, it feels like there are more organizations run relatively well compared to what I felt like it was five years ago or even 10 years ago. Um, and I compare that to the NFL and it feels like every organization is dysfunctional. And I think this is just a follow-on effect from the Spurs having a good run of uh, winning seasons, um, but also a few other teams leading the way in terms of how well they run their organization. I think that was sort of another thing that I, I sort of learned so far this season. Yeah, and it's cool to see more and more players, uh, free agents especially, kind of pushing themselves towards teams that have healthy front offices. It's a very yeah. real criteria. And the whispers of, of front offices like those of the Knicks and so on really, really hurt chances of free agency now. Whereas before, you know, it was about destination first. Um, yeah. Now That's with the huge thing, contracts, yeah. there's flexibility. Yeah, and I think um, I think the league's improving. I think the league's getting better and they're running well. Um, it's just a matter of now, this is where I was saying that everyone has found out a way to become good or a way to become average or above average. What you need now is to learn how to become the best or push yourself over the top, and that requires just a couple of little 10 out of 10 skills or attributes either through organizationally so that a team might be good at drafting or individual players within a team in terms of uh, having a player in your team who's the best shooter in the league. Um, so now it comes down to if everyone's at the same level and everyone's getting smarter, you have to have something that, I guess, different is a difference to everyone else. That's right. A, a unique point of difference. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, it's been a really wonderful season to date. I think it's as watchable as the NBA's been in a while. Um, so let's let's go ahead and look forward. I'll kick us off with something obvious, a question that obviously needs to be answered, and that's what Isaiah Thomas's effect on the Cleveland Cavaliers is going to be. Um, obviously, number one is the question of how healthy is he, how close to 100% is he, and that'll have a huge bearing on the first month, like January. But he's coming back at a really important time. Uh, I think the Cavs have dropped... Uh, four out of their last five, looking a bit flat-footed, looking quite vulnerable. Um, and I suppose January is as good a time as, as any to really firm up your identity as a team. And I do think you'll have a huge impact uh, on that identity, but it's it's not going to be instant. I think it'll take around six weeks minimum to see them really click. What do you think? I I have no idea. This is why this is an important question. 
it's I have no idea how he's going to come back, how rusty he is, how quickly he gels with the rest of his teammates. Um, when LeBron's on the low post, what is Isaiah Thomas doing? How does he work with the second unit? Does he come off? The, I mean, yeah, this whole uh, this whole situation is it needs to be answered, which is why we're we're bringing it up as a question. Um, what we do know is that the guy can flat out play, yes. and we saw it last year that this is offensively one of the most efficient and one of the most dangerous players in the league. Um, and there's no reason why you can't put him up with other guards such as DeRozan, Oladipo this season, um, Kyrie and Steph in terms of just their offensive threat and their offensive efficiency is scary for every single team. Mm. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens as well. I think he had just such an unbelievable offensive season last year. And one of the things I'll be looking for, I mean, anyone who watched uh, a fair few of his games last season would know that his game was predicated on driving to the rim and throwing himself in really physically difficult, demanding positions. Um, You know, he's bumping off centers, he's drawing contact, he's pulling back, he's driving through, he's getting and ones. And he played with a little bit of a recklessness last season, before and after the hip injury. Like, he he was so exhausted at the end of every game. He was so beaten up at the end of every game. But the numbers just showed a remarkable efficiency. So I'll be interested to see where his confidence is at after months and months on the sidelines, after the pain of being traded away and all that entailed, the doubt... Um, I guess his, you know, his own mental demons that would have come as a result of the injury. I'll be interested to see if his play style remains the same or if they've got other things in store with him, maybe just being a, more of a, a spot-up shooter rather than so ball-dominant like he was last year in Boston. Yeah. Um, my next question or my question at the moment is, can anyone actually... Or can we actually find out if anyone can knock off the top teams? Because this is a league which has repeatedly had its top two seeds make the Eastern and Western Conference Finals over and over again, um, with the occasional three and four seed filling in here and there. And I just want to see if this is the year where there are meant to be a lot of other good teams, whether it be the Raptors, um, whether it be a surprise in the Western Conference upsetting the Rockets or the Spurs or the Warriors. Mm. I'm, just, I just, I'm just curious to see if any of these teams, and we won't find out till playoff time based on who makes it and how each team is looking. I just want to know if any of these teams have, while they've become smarter this year, I do believe, are they smart enough to overcome the fact that there are other teams that are more talented and more skilled than them and can these teams just get better at winning one-off playoff series? Yeah, and one of the things that I looked up in regards to that is what are the edges that the outsiders have in these playoff series? So we know that seven-game series tend to show up bad teams and that good teams over seven games are always going to exploit weaknesses, hunt them down and punish them. And that's why the better team usually wins, or the favoured team usually wins. 
So one of the things I looked up was roster continuity. And, you know, this has been talked about a lot in the age of, you know, hastily built super teams. Um, So I took a look at the teams that had the fewest percentage change to their overall roster. Um, And it's interesting to see who's up top. So um, San Antonio and Golden State are amongst the top teams in roster continuity. They're like 83% for San Antonio, 82% for Golden State. So they've kept their rosters almost um, as they were last year. But in the East in particular, there's a couple of intriguing teams who are right near the top of those standings. Toronto is at 84% roster continuity. Washington at 80%. And if you look at their rivals in the East, Boston and Cleveland, Boston's at 46% turned over more than half its roster, and Cleveland's at 60%. And there comes a time where you have to wonder, does this chemistry count for anything? Does DeMar DeRozan's relationship with Kyle Lowry and his understandings with the player around, players around him count for points in the playoff? Does it count for stops in the playoff? Is John Wall and Bradley Beal finally going to come good as a duo? And is there, is there kind of intuitive understanding of one another going to tip a a series one way or another when they're facing off against, say, Boston, who they couldn't close out last year. Um, And that's an intriguing question to me. Will continuity play off? Yeah. Or pay off, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it comes in those big moments where the pressure is so high that no one can actually think through the situation and they're just working on their own snap decisions and their own gut instincts. Um, and that's when it's interesting to see the chemistry between teams, for sure. And another team that has a really good roster continuity is Milwaukee at 83%. So I know they seem to be running out of gas a little bit, but yeah, that's, that's something I'm keeping an eye on. Um, another question you have, Adam G. Yeah. Um, can LeBron ever actually stop playing well? Like, Will this father time? And I know we talked about him before, but it is getting ridiculous. Like I know we just we mentioned him earlier in the show, and um, we talk about him almost any show that Cleveland isn't blacklisted. Yes, um, non-blacklisted but, shows. But he's doing things that a player in his peak should be doing, and really, actually, he's doing things that a player in his peak should never be doing. The best players in their peak should not be doing some of the stuff he's doing. At his like at his level of efficiency, with sixty one point three percent effective field goal percentage on nineteen shots per game, he is at the moment out of all heavy high volume players, he's fifth in efficiency behind Anthony Davis, Steph, Kyrie, and Giannis. And he's doing this at 32. They are 24, 29, 25, and 23 years old. And LeBron is doing this at 32 years old. He is just unbelievable with his desire to keep playing well. At his age, with the wear and tear, I I don't know how he keeps doing it. I don't know how he's getting better. And I want to know if... This is a half-season thing, or if we just need to accept the fact that this guy is gunning to be the best player ever. 
He's, he's leading his team in win shares, in minutes, in points per game, in assists and steals and blocks. Uh, <laughs> it's it's impossible what he's doing. And he's look, he's, his field goal and three-point percentage have cooled off a little bit um, just towards the end of last year, but... I don't know. Like he's playing, he's playing thirty-eight minutes a game in the past ten games. He's absolutely going for it. He's been going for it in December, which is always a terrifying sign. I yet again, just you look at the names beneath him on the roster, and you say, can these guys win a championship? Can these guys beat Golden State four times out of seven? Um, and you know, you're looking at names like Jeff Green and. The corpse of Dwayne Wade and weirdly cold Kyle Korver, and that's that's what I always come down to. You never question LeBron's greatness, but when it comes to yeah. trying to predict what's going to happen in the playoffs, you're looking at the rest of that roster, and I continue to shake my head. Yeah, and it goes on to our original point. I just I just trust him. I have no doubt that he has the ability to do whatever might be needed to be done on a basketball court. Um, and I want to know if this is going to keep going because I'm intrigued. I, I want to see if this is possible for a 33-year-old to continue doing what he's doing without his second-best player. Yes. Um, but And I want to see if he can do it next year, and I want to see if he can keep doing it after that and if he can keep doing it with different teammates. And I'm we're through to January now, and he's been doing it for the whole season, and if he can keep doing this through April and he can keep doing this through May, um, then I'm going to be I'm going to be completely amazed because I I didn't think this was possible, not at his age. Um, speaking of being amazed, I've been absolutely amazed with um, the performance of one of your old mates or two of your old mates. Um, uh, Minnesota rather Minnesota are fourth in the West Um, looking very very healthy still playing far too many minutes still have a pretty awful defense but fourth in the West and as we touched on earlier this idea of trusting in your stars it's like they everything clicked and they realized they had Jimmy Butler on the team and they're just letting Jimmy be Jimmy and they look quite threatening so the question to be answered for me is are Minnesota for real? Could they actually be a top four or five seed and get out of the first round of the West playoffs? I think they can. Um, they can definitely win their first matchup. That's for sure. I think they're definitely possible of getting through to the second round. Um, you never know what could happen with the Thunder as much as I've backed them to improve on what they were doing you still never know with that kind of team you never know with a Rockets team I saw them up against your Celtics and I saw them kill them I shoot themselves in the foot to end that game yeah so you never know but look good coaching uh they've as we've said they've figured out who their star is um their front office has got good players in and I mean, now it's just down to see if they can do it or not. I mean, people have sort of slept on the fact that they're still fourth, as you said. Like, they're still there. They're seven and three over their last ten. They are not going away, and they're only improving. So, 
I'm curious to see what happens. You know, do they even creep up higher and try and get a third seed in the West? Yeah, and then it's just you're looking at their roster and you say, can Jamal Crawford win them a couple of games off the bench? And can Jimmy Butler keep you know, scoring 20, 27, 28 points a game? And, of course, the perennial question with any, anyone coached by that man is can they stay healthy uh, and can they stay yeah. on the court? So very intrigued by them. And as a side note, I'm also very intrigued by Denver, who kind of just pestily hang around that mid-range West playoff section of uh, the ladder. They're sixth. They they have really, really enjoyable wins, really frustrating losses. And it'll be interesting to see if they can just squeak into the playoffs and do any damage there, if they can work out their inconsistencies. But I actually I quite like that end of the West. Uh, I think Minnesota, Oklahoma, Denver, Portland, all kind of ravaged by inconsistency at times, all very entertaining to watch. And, you know, to be honest, I'm as excited to watch those types of teams in the playoff as uh, the teams at the top of the ladder. Yeah, I, you know what I think about the Nuggets. Um, you know that I think they're probably going to go to 40 wins and that'll be that where they're capped out. And look, if they can make the playoffs at 40 wins, good for them. Um, but they are very inconsistent. And despite some people saying, well, they're suddenly going to become more consistent, well, that doesn't just happen overnight. Um, they are inconsistent because of who they have on their team. Yes. And they will probably continue to be inconsistent the rest of the season. They recently lost to the Timberwolves to the Timberwolves twice in December, lost to the 76ers as well, and yet they've managed to somehow beat the Trailblazers and beat the Warriors. To be fair, as HB will point out, they've lost to the 76ers after falling ill of Lil B, and that's just a dumbass move by a social media manager that clearly cost them a game. Has he been sacked yet? I'd hope so because, I mean, I think anytime you become an NBA social media manager, in the little handover book you get, like page one is don't fuck with Lil B and his curses. Yeah, do not. Yeah, just don't. And if that guy is still employed with the Nuggets, they might not win another game for the rest of the year. Yeah, don't, or at least don't they might not the win bear. another national. No, exactly. Like any national TV game yeah. that's out there, yeah. If that Nuggets employee, that social media um, manager is still employed, they might not win another national TV game for the rest of the year. So I would watch out. And if I was the Nuggets, sack him, move on, get over the curse, and let's see if you can get over 40 wins. Next lesson, Adam G. Next lesson. Uh, a couple of teams just to sort their shit out is all I'm is my next lesson. I want to see if they can sort their shit out between now and the end of the season. Um, can they please the Wizards sort they, their shit out? Or not necessarily please, but will they? Uh, I know they've won a few games lately and everyone's a little bit happier, but we know what happens with the Wizards. They suddenly win a couple of games and it turns into a glorified... Um, glorified sort of version of some of the Lakers teams of the 80s and early 90s and they go for behind the back passes and alley-oops and pull up 
pull up threes within three or four seconds of the shot clock and they start doing stupid stuff. Um, yes. And I want to see if they can actually sort their shit out being a team with talent, a team with stars, a team with chemistry and continuity and a team with a coach who, despite not being one of the greatest coaches, is average and has been with a big team, with big players and in big moments before. Um, I want to see, like, I just want to know if they can actually sort their shit out and finish the season strong. Yes, they are fifth in the East. They are only five games over 500. They lose yes. the next two and everyone thinks they're a 500 team again. So I just want to see, like, the Thunder have managed to do it. The Thunder started a lot slower. They were behind the eight ball. But they're starting to show that they've sorted their shit out. But I really want to see if if they can sort their shit out. And I'm actually curious to see if the Clippers can actually sort their shit out. Now, I know injuries have played a big part with them, but Huge. but that's their own fault. You have Blake Griffin and Danilo Gallinari. That's what these guys do. They get injured. Um, <laughs> Correct. But I want to know if they... Yeah. That's, that's what they do. They, they play well for a small amount of time. Blake better than Gallo, but, and then they get injured and they have injury problems. And it's not their fault, maybe. Maybe it's poor preparation. Maybe it's luck. We don't know. But can they sort their shit out? And in terms of not necessarily making the playoffs, just work out what you're doing. Why have they won three games in a row? Are they, are they serious about trying to make the playoffs now? It could be Milos. I don't know. They're a confusing team. And... You're so, so right about both sides of the injuries. It's unfortunate, but also when you sign Blake and a guy like Danilo to huge contracts, you should know they're going to miss 20 games at some point in the season minimum. To go back to Washington, they are uniquely frustrating. They are so irritating to watch because you see them flip the switch into arrogance um, after playing incredible yeah. basketball, I think everyone can remember that game against Cleveland last year, the regular season game that was really one of the best games of the year. And they showed so much heart and poise, composure and guts down the stretch to hit big shots. And they show these glimmers of promise and then kind of fall down this hole of pouting, arrogant, beating their own chests and kind of getting ahead of themselves. And it's all epitomized by those funeral games and dressing in all black and all this shit. There, there's something a little bit culturally amiss to me there, like a maturity and, and sureness that's not quite there yet. And I just have no faith in the Washington professional basketball team. They've yet to show me that I should. Yeah, true. And you said it correctly and a lot more succinctly than I did in terms of they flipped the switch from incredible basketball to arrogance very quickly. Yes. And they almost play with a Harlem Globetrotters kind of ego and flair, but with a flaw of the Washington generals. <laughs> like, yeah, high ceiling, low floor. Yeah, like they think their ceiling is a lot higher than what it actually is. However, they do have moments of incredible basketball. But then when they flip that switch to arrogance, they, their floor is horrible. They are a really bad team when they want to be. Yeah, and it's, um, that's a and really good way see. of putting it. To... You put it so well in that they think their ceiling is higher than it is. And the thing is, they need to be playing in that wonderful, impressive, solid, exciting way to have any hope of competing. And it seems to me the second they 
get tantalizingly close to that kind of identity as a basketball team. There are no level heads. There's no mature voices in the room to kind of keep them disciplined and working hard. And then they go out and beat a team like Boston. They look really good. And, you know, it, it feels a little bit meaningless. Yeah, I mean, their December is the perfect sort of vision or not necessarily vision, but perfect sort of encapsulation of what the Wizards look like. And halfway through the month, they manage, they have a three-game homestand. They beat the Clippers, they beat the Pelicans, but they lose to the Cavs because they come in and say that the Cavs are washed up and that they can easily deal with LeBron and that LeBron tanked last season. The Cavs tanked last season because they were scared of the Wizards and they got smashed. And then when they come into another few games, after that and after that disappointment, they end up going to Brooklyn and losing to the Nets. Not only losing to the Nets, they lost by 35. That's in a, this season, yes. where... Everybody, including the Hawks, can score 100 points. They lost 84 to 119 to the Nets. And yet, one day later, they bounce back at home and beat the Magic, and they get they score 130 points. Like a 50-point uptick in their offense. Yeah. And, and it, this, yeah, and this is where we're frustrated. Yeah. I mean, look at that Boston game on Christmas. Good, you beat Boston. Yeah, and that was convincing. two days later. And then what happened two days yeah, after they had that? Two they lose games. to Atlanta. Yeah, they had two big games in the month. They were arrogant for the Cavs game and got smashed. So when they came into the Celtics game, they weren't arrogant and they performed well and they won. And as soon as they said, oh, look, we just beat the top seed, they lose to the Hawks, as you said. Confusing team. I mean, this is a team... I, I didn't even... I, mean, I completely forgot about this. They then beat, they then beat the Rockets on the 29th. Right. Of December. Right. And yet, after that, they still somehow managed to, against the Bulls, trail by six points at the, at the end of the third quarter. Yeah. Because of stupid arrogance to start the game, and they pulled off a 31-21 to 21 final quarter and beat the Bulls by four points. But even within that game, they showed that... The possibility is endless for them to go up and down within even one game, let alone a whole month. This is um, it. I want to know. Yeah, I want to know what's going on. I want to know whether they're actually going to sort their shit out. Um, differently to the Clippers, but I want to know what's going to ha- happen with them. My next big question for this season, and it's something that showed itself in that Celtics Rockets game, is can James Harden be a leader or not? Um, there are a litany of examples of him kind of acting weird, behaving differently, or just flat out folding under pressure. Um, There was injury excuses last playoffs after he just looked like absolute arse in an elimination game. And in that kind of 26-point comeback the Celtics laid on the Rockets last week, down the stretch, Harden was terrible. I'm talking really bad, bad shot selection a weird beef with Marcus Smart. Like, he let Marcus Smart head fuck him and flop him pretty much into costing his team the game with two offensive fouls. And if you watch both of those offensive fouls in the last 10 seconds of the game that cost the Rockets the game, there's no question they were there. The referee was kind of separating him and Smart uh, before the ball was inbounded for the final time. 
I mean, if James Harden can be thrown off his game by Marcus Smart in a regular season game at Boston, I I have no more faith than I did last year for him to step up and be a leader and be the cool head on the court and say, "Uh -uh -uh uh-uh-uh-uh, we are winning this series, we're winning this game, I'm not going to let us lose. So my question is, can James Harden handle the pressure? Can he be a leader or not? It is an interesting question. And do you think this is more of a playoff time question? Because we know they're going to win a lot of games. We know they're going to finish in the top three, I think, from what we've seen so far. I think it's fair to say. It's fair to say that it's a playoff question that we're looking to be answered? Well, but, you know, do you have to, like, does a leader have to wait until the playoffs to be a leader? Um, You know, lots of people like to joke around about LeBron. The only time, yeah. You know what I mean? The only time that is okay is if in the past he has shown that he is a leader in clutch situations and everyone knows, and he knows, he's just taking it easy. Right. That's the only time you can get away with it during the regular season. So what you're saying is correct, is he has to show it during the regular season because we still haven't seen it. And also, as a team, you're not going to buy into it if he suddenly switches it on. The thing that concerns me most isn't necessarily like... Of course, they win and they win well when he's at his best and the team's clicking. That's totally fine. What catches my eye is those um, pressure point moments in games where you know you get a charge call thrown against you that's unfair or a tech or a team goes on a little run. Um, maybe you're not getting the whistles you want to get in, uh, when you're driving to the hoop and you're getting a bit frustrated those leadership moments, those pressure point moments seem to me to be the moments where Harden loses his mind, where he takes bad shots, where he um, acts immaturely, where he kind of lets down his team. Where he isn't a leader. Yeah. So that's what I'm really getting at. Do you think that that shows in their recent five-game losing streak where they lost by six to the Lakers, ten to the Clippers, five to the Thunder, lost by a point, as you were saying, the Celtics game we've been referring to where Harden collapsed at the end of the game and lost then, got destroyed by the Wizards on the 29th of December. Can a team like that lose five games in a row and us just say they still have leaders? I don't think they have leaders. And I think they miss Clint Capella, but maybe, 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 maybe this will be the thing that sends them over the top. It's that, you know, Chris Paul, Chris Paul while he doesn't have the best playoff record himself, he was always uh, in LA the captain that went down with the ship. He would be the one kind of pushing even when they were down 10 with 20 seconds left in a game two that they were destined to lose. So I say, maybe this can be Chris Paul's destiny. Maybe he can be the guy that infuses some maturity and some grit into the Rockets that are all flash and all advanced metrics um, and, you know, three-point bombing. But can he bring a little bit of grounding to them come crunch time? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, look, if they're going to win games like they did against the Lakers, 148 to 142, then (laughs) I'm happy to see that in the playoffs. That'll be fun. Um, I am interested to see how the next four games go because they have an away trip to Orlando. They have then home games against the Warriors and Pistons, and the Pistons have already shown that they actually travel pretty well. Yes. 
And then they have another away trip to my absolutely on fire Chicago Bulls. Won't be stopped. So those four, the yeah, the Magic Warriors, Pistons, and Bulls. They have four games there where you know, can you go four and zero? Just do it. Just go four and zero. When you should. You're meant to be better than three. Yeah, you're meant to be better than three of those teams. So you beat those teams, and then in the game against the Warriors, show that you can beat them in a big spot. Yes, then it, that would be a good signature win, and we'll see what goes down there. Um, Adam G, your next question. I've only got one more left after this. Okay, this is my last as well. Um, I want to know if I can actually make a call on this podcast and it not completely reverse <laughs> throughout the next like week or two or month. Um, because the only call that I've made... Uh, which has then stayed the same or gone that correct way, the only call I can remember is the Thunder. And I, I feel like I've been a reasonable backer of them since the start of the season, saying they'll sort their shit out. But I'll pay it. Man, have I made them. I've made some bad calls on this podcast, and I'm glad no one's around to uh, record them or note them down or send me a list. So thank you to all the listeners who haven't done that. I appreciate you all. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll echo that. We've made some fucking shocking calls. Um, I mean, there has been a steep, steep decrease in our segment on Giannis MVP watch. I think that segment has gone missing in the past few episodes. Well, that's his fault. Yeah, that's his fault for not playing as well. Yes, I mean he dunked all over the Raptors today, but they still lost. So this is it. So, I mean, I kind of like our brash, incorrect calls. I think it's fun. No one likes someone who's always right, Adam G, and we ain't. We're human beings, everybody. We're going to fuck up. In fact, expect it. And, you know, if you want to bet against what we say, you'll probably come out of the season with a bit of coin in your pocket. So go ahead. Um, We understand completely. My last call is, can... Joel Embiid and the 76ers finish the season strong and start to fulfill their destiny this season. They've lost six out of their last nine, have fallen out of the East top eight, um, looking a little bit discombobulated. I really want them to make the playoffs. Like, I'm fucking desperate to see that team get hype in the playoffs. I really, really like them. But I'm still kind of hanging on an Embiid prolonged back injury or soreness missing a month here or there we know that's going to happen this skid looks a little bit familiar so i'm wondering can the 76ers finish out the season strong and squeak into the seven or eight seed i think they can but it's yet to be seen yeah do you remember the i think it was was it the 2012 2013 golden state warriors it might have been them it was a first season with the Warriors when they started to they started to show that they could possibly yeah they went to, they went twenty three and forty three in twenty eleven twelve under Mark Jackson um, and this was the year that they drafted Clay Thompson and the next year they just snuck in but still managed to finish sixth in the Western Conference just a couple of wins ahead of the Lakers and the Rockets but no one really thought anything of them. And they somehow managed to make it to the conference semifinals with 
a team that had a very young staff play Andrew Bogut. Um, this is back with Harrison Barnes before Draymond was big. We're talking about, and David Lee was on the Warriors as well. We're talking about the 2012-2013 season. Um, and it was their first win in a playoff series for the first time since 2007. And I don't know, is this something that is a good comparison for this 76ers team? Can they make it into the playoffs and maybe upset a team in the first round and get their first playoff series win for a while? Yes, that would be super fun to see. And that's a really good comparison because the jump that Golden State took from, what was it, 2011-12 to 12-13, where they kind of finally got themselves to just above 500, that's the jump everyone's waiting for with the 76ers, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Just showing a little bit of consistent competence. Because that, that was the beginning of their title run. Right, that's where the ramp-up began. And that's yeah. when Steph Curry started taking the league by the balls and leading the team in win shares. And they had those legendary playoff series yeah. against Denver. And um, they feel like they are on the cusp of that. I guess I'm just impatient. I want the 76ers to, to be there this season. I want Embiid to scare a LeBron or a Toronto. I think they could beat Toronto in a series. I think um, they could scare Toronto. Yes. Um, it'd be interesting. It'd be very, very interesting. All right. Hell of a list, Adam G. Hell of a comeback. Hell of a way to start the year. That's our lessons learned and questions to be answered. Um, thank you so much for all listening. We'll be back way sooner than we have been. We appreciate your patience. And Adam G, you just keep enjoying New Orleans. Get down Bourbon Street, my friend. I will. Yeah, here for a few more days. Um, might see if there's a possibility of a boogie sighting at a, at a basketball game. See if uh, that's possible. Uh, otherwise, um, I hope everyone's had a good holidays. I hope everyone's had a good Christmas and New Year period and stayed relatively uh, sober or well hungover. And I look forward to chatting some basketball with you next week, Adam B. Thank you, Adam G. I'll speak to you soon, my friend.